All right. Uh, welcome to the first forum of the new calendar year. Um, Happy New Year, everybody. Um, so we hold forum every week at this time. We start at 9.30 if we get our act together. Um, we like to have programs that oh, basically are an enhancement to the Sunday service. Uh, we provide a connection with the community. Uh, that's the community at large, northern New Mexico, Los Alamos, and the smaller community of our own members. Uh, so very frequently we'll have people from the congregation speak about something that is near and dear to their hearts. Uh, in this instance, Susan Chower approached me in December and asked whether our speaker, uh, Cindy Rooney, could speak about UNMLA. And as you probably all know, UNMLA is on a ballot issue right now. Uh, you should have received your ballots. Some of you have probably voted. If you're an early voter like me, you've already voted. Uh, but some of you may be interested in what does UNMLA do? Um, are they a, um, what, uh, a local resource? You know, how do they serve our community? Those sorts of, of questions. And so uh, Cindy, who's the CEO there, uh, has graciously agreed to come this morning. And she will talk about UNMLA and their programs and what they do for our community. If you haven't gotten one, I, there are some uh, handouts back at the door, and you're welcome to pick up one of those. We will have a, a chance to ask uh, Cindy some questions. Uh, so do you want them to hold their questions or just ask? Okay, so you can ask your questions as they come up, all right? Um, this being a small town, how many of you have a connection with UNMLA? You've taken a class, you have children who've gone there, okay? Uh, I currently have one, one son going there. One of my sons went there for two years. Uh, I went there for a class on Spanish before I went to Mexico one time. Uh, helped a lot. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'll let uh, Cindy uh, tell you about uh, the programs. Thanks. First of all, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. It's the first time I've been in your new building. I had heard about the construction of the new building, but it's always fun to see the final product and to say congratulations to those of you who were involved in this endeavor. Um, let me tell you a little bit about myself because I know many of you, but others I don't know as well. I moved to Los Alamos about 20 years ago, a trailing spouse with a husband that worked at the lab and two small children. And I had been in uh, education, higher education, previously teaching at the College of William and Mary and also at Xavier University. Did my online research and said, oh, there's a college there. Oh, good, they have an MBA program. My background is a PhD in accounting. This is going to be great. I'll teach part-time. When I came here, I applied for a job here. What you may not know is to teach at UNM Los Alamos, you have to be approved by UNM main campus because most of our courses, when you get a transcript, it's a UNM transcript and not a UNM Los Alamos transcript. So for accreditation purposes, they have to make the right call. I get a phone call from a gentleman in Albuquerque who says, would you be interested in teaching at UNM Albuquerque? And I'm like, how did you know I was here? Because I didn't know the inside scoop then. And so the first year I was here, I taught on main campus at Anderson as a visiting faculty member. Um, two days a week I drove to Albuquerque, and it was rewarding, and it was fun. 
but at the same time, it was two days a week I drove to Albuquerque and back. And so after that, I uh, significantly reduced my salary and started teaching at UNM Los Alamos. Um, UNM Los Alamos has been one of the most rewarding places I've ever taught. And I can say that as sincerely as possible. I probably said the same thing at other places that I taught. But we serve a very diverse community here. When I teach economics at UNM Los Alamos, there will be about 20 people. Some of them will be 16-year-old homeschool students. Some of them will be, I can remember the last class I taught economics, an 80-year-old retired gentleman from the lab. And after he retired, he just went to keep taking classes. And so when you teach economics and you have age diversity as well as income diversity as well as background, we have a lot of students who come from foreign countries who bring with them trailing spouses and family members. So in that particular class, there was a person who had a law degree from China. And so you've got great discussions. All you have to do is introduce the topics, give them, give them the material, get the reading done beforehand, and use the class time for wonderful discussions. So I am, have been always an advocate for this campus. I started out as an instructor, became a department head, became an associate dean, and then became dean of instruction in 2013. Um, We've had some turnover. It used to be called executive director level. Now it's called CEO. Call it whatever you want. But it's the, the person in charge of the campus. We've had some turnover. And they asked me to step in as interim in uh, August of 2015. I've got to think about my years now that we're in a new year. 2015, they asked me to interim. And then they asked me if I would stay on as permanent in, in March of last year. So I haven't been... I've been in charge for over a year, but I haven't been official for over a year. So that kind of lets you know a little bit about my background. Um, By the way, before we go off this picture, this is one of my favorite pictures, taken with a drone, taken on a Saturday. Uh, So I kind of, I don't know if I like it or don't like it because the parking lot's empty and the campus looks, you know, devoid of people. But I do like it because I like to say that this is our community college. And this shows how we sit in the midst of the community. Let's go ahead and move to the next one. Um, My background is a teacher, and so I always like to say, okay, here's the things that we're going to cover today. So our topic today is what's what's the mission of UNMLA? What's our role in this community? Overview is we'll talk about how we serve this community in a variety of ways, and then in a lot of our programs right now, we have a lot of positive momentum, and we're excited about that one. But yet, we face a incredible financial crunch. When we went through our strategic planning process about a year and a half ago, and you do the, the traditional analysis, and you say, okay, what are the threats or what are the concerns? Money. Money came from community members, came from staff, came from faculty, came from students. They all know that we are incredibly tight. The phrase that we often say on campus is, we have no money. You know, could you do this? Well, we would love to, but we have no money. If we want to do this, where are we going to, what are we going to cut in order to do this? So that's our, that's our overview challenge. Um, do we serve the community? Oh, yes, we do. I come at it from the academic. I talk about the classes. I can talk about the students. But not only do we have the academic programs, we have the summer programs for youth. Um, used to be called Children's College. When my kids went through it, it was called Children's College. Now we call it Summer Programs for Youth because we go all the way up through high school, and high school students don't like to be referred to as, as children. And so that's an exciting program. We bring 150, 200 students on campus in the summer and try to get them exposed to a variety of different uh, 
anything from cooking in the classroom to some kind of CSI whodunit mystery. Who stole the cookies? And so, you know, it's kind of fun to have the people do forensic science with who, does, who stole the cookies. Um, we do community education. Someone mentioned taking the Spanish class. I, I assume you probably did it through community education. When you want to take Spanish, you can either do it through community education or through an academic program. Community education, no tests, no papers. It's, you know, a, a different type of pace. Academic, you've got the papers. By the way, if you want to take an academic class for audit, you can do that as well. Um, adult basic education. I mentioned earlier the number of um, people who come to work at the lab who bring with them, maybe from foreign countries, who bring with them spouses and family members that don't really have a good understanding of the English language. We have an ESL program, English as a Second Language program. And by the way, they have the best potlucks. And so those of you that want to volunteer, volunteer to teach in the ESL program, you'll get invited to the potluck and you'll have enough chance to eat food from all around the world uh, that, they, that they make for those. Uh, also through the adult basic education, we have what used to be called the GED program. Now it's called the high school equivalency program. And we had, I think it was close to 40 graduates of that last time. We are very careful that we do not want to, I'll use the word that I often use casually, cannibalize the high school program. We like it. that we, we want to support the high school. And so students that can stay at high school, that's great. But when it works out that a student cannot stay at high school, we want to be that safety net for them to help them still go ahead and get high school equivalency. Of the 40 students, there were only four that were from the local high school. A couple of them had been asked not to be at the local high school, and so we were their safety net. But we had a lot of people who were previously at the high school who dropped out, and now five to 10 years later have decided, I want to get my high school equivalency. And so we also work with Delancey Street. Those of you that know the Delancey Street program, we have an off-site program with them through that one. That program is 100% funded by the state and federal government separately. So I say that because as we go into this mill levy, occasionally people will say, well, but you said that you're doing something at Delancey Street, and I don't know if the tax dollars from you from Los Alamos should support that one. And I say, oh, they don't, because that particular program uh, doesn't, doesn't come out of our operating funds. It's a separately funded program. We enjoy hosting events on campus. Chamber of Commerce is there every, every month for a breakfast. League of Women Voters was there for a lot of their events, Meet the Candidate events. Um, I use the phrase community college a lot. We are, by state law, both a community college and a branch campus. It's a little confusing when you look at the state laws. And if you've moved here like I did from another state, where branch campuses may not also be community college. But in this state, uh, all of the branch campuses, there are 10 of us, four for UNM, uh, four for New Mexico State, and two for Eastern. But all of the branch campuses are also community colleges. So we fall under, that, we fall under kind of two statutes in the state. Um, and as a community college, we're here to serve the community. And then when I say we host all of these events, if it is an event that's open to the public, like the League of Women Voters event, if it's for a good cause, then we are glad to have any of those events hosted on our campus. We also sometimes host events where people pay us, and so there may be a group from the lab that wants to have a symposium for a certain set of their members, and so we say we'll be glad to yell on you our space and Here's a rate. Uh, sometimes the, the fire science people invite people from around the country, and so we charge them a fee. It's just another source of income. We talk about sources of funds later. I'll talk about other, and rental space is one of them that comes up. Dual credit. Um, starting with the graduates, the students who graduated in 2013, 
every graduating senior in New Mexico, the entire state, either had to complete a AP class, uh, advanced placement class, a college class, or a online class. Whenever the legislators passed this requirement, what their intent was is New Mexico has traditionally not done well at convincing high school students to go into college, and they wanted them to get a head start. And so dual credit has been in existence for a long time, but starting with the class that graduated in 2013, there is a little checkbox that they say you have to have one of these. Now at that point, um, not every student wants to take an AP class. My daughters did. There's a lot of work involved with AP classes, and I see some of you nodding there as well. They can come over and they can take ceramics at UNMLA, and ceramics counts as an art class, and it helps them toward to get started on their college career, and they might actually enjoy doing that more than taking some other class. And so our, we have had tremendous growth in our dual credit program since 2013. The other thing that's happening nationwide and statewide is these programs called Early College High School. And the idea with Early College High School is that you get started on a degree and maybe even get a degree by the time you finish high school. And you're going, is that possible? Well, it's hard, but it's possible. Uh, there's a school down in Las Cruces that's doing the best job in the state of New Mexico with it. And so the idea is dual credit. Dual credit simply means that you get credit at the high school and at the college for the same course. And so I'll give you an example. If the local high school doesn't teach astronomy, but a student wants to take astronomy as their science class, they can come over with permission of the high school and take the astronomy class at the college. And it will count as the high school, check a box when you, for your science, as well as check a box over toward your college. And so it's a very good thing, state requirement. Um, there's a little bit of a concern, and I'll talk about that later, is when they came up with this, they thought that for the one in 200-year colleges that this would be great and it wouldn't cost us any money. And the reason they thought it wouldn't cost us any money is called the theory of excess capacity. So if I'm teaching an economics class and there are 25 chairs and I only have 22 students, then I've got three chairs there and then I'm preparing the material anyway and that's okay. We get, we've gotten to the point, unfortunately now, where especially the robotics classrooms, uh, we may have 15 students in robotics and 12 of them are non-paying dual credit students. Now so far we've been able to absorb that through other classes. But as the money continues to shrink, it's a significant problem. It's not just a problem from UNM Los Alamos, it's a problem statewide. Um, at a recent legislative finance committee, one of the senators says, is it fair to have the tuition paying students subsidize the dual credit students? And that's something a senator said that they're stressing about. Now, they would like to fund it, but we all know the situation with funding in the state of New Mexico. And so there's a limited amount of money. So I'm just trying to give you some background. Um, and I'm getting ahead of myself. Current challenges, I'll talk a little bit. I added a slide uh, yesterday for some statewide issues. And then someone said that when you, when you speak to a group, you have to realize that they often are saying, how can I help? And I think what I'm saying to you as citizens of Los Alamos is, if you understand who we are and why we are doing for this mill levy, then that, that can enable you, empower you to make a better decision. I'm not going to say... Um, I'm not going to tell you how to vote, okay? I'm going to give you the information and respect your right to make that decision. Let's go to the next slide. I'll try to get through these a little bit faster. Um, 
We were started in 1980. We existed prior to that in various forms. At one point, we were the Graduate Center for UNM. At one point, we were associated with um, Northern New Mexico Community College. And then in 1980, the citizens of Los Alamos had a, had a vote and decided that they wanted to have a branch campus of UNM created, UNM Los Alamos. And I sometimes call it the price of admission. The price of admission was to pass a one mil uh, tax, property tax. And so in 1980, it was passed as a one mil property tax. That's the rate that we still are funded by the citizens of Los Alamos. Um, we currently offer over 20 degrees. I like to talk about our faculty. Mike McNaughton's in the back. I saw Susan Shower briefly come through. I don't think she came here. She must have gone to a different event. Our faculty, we have an incredibly talented faculty. Part of it's because of living in Los Alamos. Think about my story. I was a trailing spouse that wanted to teach. And we have been able to, to use individual stories like that. Um, Mike is uh, full-time at the lab, but Mike likes to teach. And he's phenomenal in the classroom. And so we have a very good faculty. 70% of our permanent faculty have PhDs. Permanent faculty are people who have signed a regular contract or continuing contract or a core contract. We struggle with sometimes, but we have regular faculty and we have adjunct faculty. Now we have a lot of adjuncts who teach with us regularly, but there's kind of a different category. They're part-time. Actually, be careful. A lot of our permanent faculty are part-time. So we, of our permanent faculty, 70% um, have PhDs. For a one in 200, for one in 200 level to your campus, that's phenomenal. Usually you're talking about 26 to 30. The requirement to teach a class that's a 1 in 200 level is that you have to have 18 graduate hours in that subject. So if you have 18 graduate hours in math, you can teach the 1 in 200 level. Well, we don't have just the eight. We have primarily faculty. Uh, we just lost this semester a uh, gentleman who had been our lab assistant in physics. And as he was leaving, he came by the office and chatted. He said, I don't know if the community realizes that if you take a physics class at UNM LA, you have a PhD in physics teaching the class, and you have a lab person with a PhD in physics doing it. And that's very rare, because most of the time, if you were in state school, it would be something different. So I, I really am proud of the quality of the education we deliver. Um, if I include all instructors, 76% have either a PhD or master's. Someone said, shouldn't that be 100%? Well, no, the requirement is that you have those graduate hours. Also, we teach classes like welding. Welding doesn't require a graduate. So the requirement of having the 18 credit hours of graduate to teach is for transfer classes, classes that will lead to a four-year degree. So if you're getting a technical degree, um, you don't have to have that academic rigor, and so not everybody has it. 90% um, of our graduates, 90%. Now, I could have brought you the slide that showed you compared to everybody else that's a two-year college in the state. We break the curve. I mean, we're that student that everybody despises because most of our students, when they graduate, either go on to college or they get a job, and that's, that's a phenomenal statistic that we're very proud of. And then the student-faculty ratio, we use these ratios whatever the purpose, if, you, um, if you're talking about classroom size, that's an approximate. Somewhere between 10 and 35 is the size of all of our classes. Um, but 19 to 1 is approximate. Uh, if you were a parent, you might say, well, I'd rather it be like 15 to 1 and have a real small, intimate class. If you are a legislator, you might say, well, I think it should be 35 to 1 because you want to get the most bang for your buck. But, that, but that's the truth. That's where we are right now is 19 to 1. Let's go to the next one.
Um, we are breaking the trends. I've got a couple of slides here. We're breaking the trends in enrollment. The bar graph to the right is just fall enrollment. We compare fall to fall, and then we also have a year early. But if you look, um, fall 14 to fall 15 was a 12% increase. That's phenomenal. And people say, why? And I say, well, there's several reasons. One is when the economy's in trouble, there are more people interested in going back to school. And there's a lot of people interested in going back to school where they can get a job. So people, we have a student who moved here from, I think it's Oregon, I know it's Pacific Northwest, who said, I really, my ultimate job, my ultimate goal was to get a job at Lano, and I decided the best way to get a job at Lano was to start college in the school that's closest to Lano. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of interesting. But we have a lot of growth. We had on campus last year 1,794 students. Um, that is unduplicated headcount, so if a student takes a class in the fall, spring, and summer, they still only count as one. And so we served 1,794 academic students last year. Um, this fall on campus, we have 1,020 students. Okay, now many of those will come back in the spring, and there'll be some other people coming in, and, and we hope we'll have more than the uh, 1,794 by the time that full year works out. There's another reason why we've been growing, but all the other campuses have been doing the same thing, and that is the dual credit students. Um, we serve 387 dual credit students. 299 are from Los Alamos High School. If you read the paper, you may have read that someone commented that that was bigger than the senior class at, at the high school. I don't know that that's true, but someone wrote it in the paper, so maybe it is true. No, I'm hearing a no, it's not. But, but I know that uh, 299 students, different, and then again, those are unique headcounts. So some of those students came and took a class in the fall, spring, and summer, but they're only counted as one in that statistic. Uh, we are here as a community college, but we're also here to do more than just the academic program. So some numbers, 183 students in the summer program for youth last year. 420 students took community ed students, community education classes. That could be anything from how to, how to, how to fix up your house to sell it to a, what do I need to think about retirement to um, diggery do is a popular one right now. And so it, it's kind of a variety of things. Um, 245 students participated in our adult basic education, either high school equivalency or the ESL. 276 customers in customized training. Customized training, let me say something about that one because it may help you. Some of you may be potential customers. A group at the lab contacted us and said, we need people who can do technical writing. We see that you do a technical writing class. Um, but your technical writing class meets on Monday, Wednesdays at 10 o'clock, and I'm making that up, but I don't know when it meets. But that's inconvenient. So could you schedule a technical writing class another time, and can you show us the syllabus? And as we talked about, none of their people wanted the academic credit. They wanted the content. And so what we did is we had that professor work with them to say, what is it you really want? Let's customize this. You're not wanting the degree. You're wanting the training. And then we came up with a price point that was agreeable for everybody. And so uh, whether it's customer service, we've done some training with the local county. We've done some training with a couple of physicians' offices in town. So whatever it is that we can do to help. A lot of people just need some training on the computer. Can you help us learn how to use PowerPoint? Can you help us learn how to use Excel? And so we do the customized training as well. Um, and then events on campus. I mentioned that one. Um, let's go to the next one. Dual credit program and working with the public schools. It is imperative in today's world that we have collaborations. 
We have collaborations with the public schools. We have collaborations with UNM. We have collaborations with other higher education institutions in the area. We have collaborations with the lab. Uh, because this is about education, it's easier to talk about the ones with the public schools. We've mentioned dual credit already. Uh, back in 2010, 2011, before that requirement, 132 students were taking dual credit classes. There were already a lot of students taking them. Calculus 3 is a popular one. In this town, we have a lot of math wizards, and so they can max out at Calculus 2 at the high school, but they still want to go, they have a year left and they want to take Calculus 3. So they can come across the street literally and take a Calc 3 class. And so uh, we've had a lot of people doing the dual credit for years, it's just significantly increased. Um, we measure headcount, but we also measure student credit hours. So one student taking three credit hours counts as one headcount and three student credit hours. But another student taking 15 credit hours counts as one student and 15 credit hours. So I sometimes have both measurement there. So the, not only is the number of dual credit students increased, but also the number of hours. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, dual credit students, I think I mentioned this, they do not pay tuition. Remember initially when this law was passed that it required students to take a dual credit class, they wanted them to encourage them to do college. And they thought we had excess capacity. And they said, well, you guys can just waive the tuition and, and we'll fund you. We'll give you some extra money in the state funding formula. Uh, unfortunately, the state amount of funding has been going down. They have an interesting thing that they do. They calculate your dual credit students for the past three years, what the tuition rate would have been. That becomes what they call your calculated value, and then they fund that to some degree. In blue, you see that at the last legislative session, they did this calculation of what our dual credit would have been for the last three years. It's a three-year average. Um, and they calculate it would have been 82000 and then they said, oh, yeah, we can fund you at 6% of that, 6.4%. And so when I say it's a kind of something, a service that we provide to the community, it really is. I believe in doing it. I think it's the right thing to do. But it is, it is, a, it is an un, underfunded mandate. Um, deal credit has always been a la carte. Students come over and they say, oh, I want to take Calc 3. I want to take a ceramics class. It's kind of like I pick and I choose. They get permission from the public schools. They meet the prereqs on our side and they move forward. We've been working on this thing called an early college high school program. Los Alamos High School calls it Los Alamos Early College and Career Academy. It's designed for students to not only take a la carte classes to get them a head start, but also to graduate with, a, a pro, with some sort of certificate or degree program. Now, let's be honest. The high school has their high flyers. I heard a story recently of a young man from the high school between AP classes and dual credit classes, and also concurrent enrollment. Concurrent enrollment is when you want to take, either, let's say, differential equations, and there's not a slot for it to count on your high school degree, but you still want to take the class. That, that's called concurrent enrollment. That young man started his first year of college as a junior because of all of the combination of those three things. That's one group of students that the high school serves and that we serve. There's another group of students, and there's kind of, I don't know what to call them, but they're the people that are high-functioning, but maybe not as motivated, and they don't want to take all those classes. And maybe they're not even sure if they want to go to college. That's the group that this early college and career academy is targeting. They're on grade level, they're good students, but they're just not sure what they want to do. And so maybe what we need to do is get them a starting point, a certificate, an associate's degree, and get them into a career. The three that we're decided to focus on, and we've added a fourth one unofficially, 
is Emergency Medical Services. It's a program we have on campus. It's a program that people, the students can take and get a, 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 a pass the national test and be certified to go to work anywhere in the country. Okay. Um, electromechanical, that's one that we worked with the lab on because the lab has a need when they're looking at their, their workforce for electromechanical techs and they can get a certificate in electromechanical tech or an associate degree in electromechanical tech and go to work for the lab. And then also marketing. Um, when you talk to local businesses and we're trying to, we're trying to match that need between the interest of the students and, and employability, okay? And so when you talk to local businesses, they're really interested in having people to help them with the marketing. And marketing can be designing a web page, it could be taking their business online, it could be putting together a campaign, all sorts of things. But that was one that I wasn't so sure I was convinced on, but when you ask the students what they're interested in and you ask local businesses, we said, okay, let's put marketing there and see how that works. The fourth one that we've added unofficially is, I'm very proud, and you may have seen it in the paper, Last semester, we added something called a personal care attendant program. This semester, we're also adding the CNA program, the Certified Nursing Assistant Program. We have never had a nursing program on our campus. The state controls, if you will, I use the road controls, the number of nursing programs that exist in the state because they're costly programs, and so they don't want to have one at every single university, and so we've never had one. But we had a unique situation. We had some grant money that supported EMS that would also support other health care issues. And we had a person in town who wanted to donate money to help us start something that would provide a, a caregiver, was, was their words. And so between the combination of that, we started doing a lot of legwork. And we realized, wait, even without getting a state nursing program, we can have the personal care attendant. When we got our foot in the door with personal care attendant, we realized that we were just that close to also being able to offer the CNA. We went and talked to the hospital. We talked to Sombrio because, once again, we want to make sure that we make the connection, that students go from being a high school student to a college to something that's employable. And the, the hospital has changed their hiring plan. They're now hiring more CNAs. And... Um, Sombrio and Aspen Ridge have said, absolutely, we'll hire the CNAs. Um, a lot of places like visiting nurses were very supportive of our personal care attendant program. And so those are some programs that we're going to offer to the high school students as well. And then some of you may have heard about the internship program. I just looked at the clock. I've got to go fast. Okay, go through a couple more slides. Um, a minute on these. Much like the state of New Mexico said dual credit is a good idea, the state of New Mexico has said there's a lot of other things we want higher education organizations working on. They are all good things. One is a common numbering system so that when you take English 102 at UNMLA, it transfers as English 102 when you go to UNM, New Mexico State, New Mexico Tech, Eastern, wherever you go, it's the same class. We don't have that currently. And so that's an initiative that we are all working on right now. Um, meta majors, when a student comes and says, I don't know what I want to major in, it matters to some degree which math class they take that freshman year, what their major is. So let's take majors and cluster them. Are you interested in the sciences? Then you probably need to take this math class. Are you more interested in arts? Maybe you need this class. Behavioral science, maybe you need a statistics class. But if we can at least get them into a, a broad category of majors, we can make them help them make better decisions early on. Then they, the meta major only serves you initially, and then you transfer to your, then you, then you choose your major. Um, the uh, route to 66 is a fairly new initiative. 
Studies show that by the year 2025, we're going to need 65% 65 of the jobs will require some level of post-secondary education. In the state of New Mexico, we're currently at 43.6. Working age population ages between 25 and 64. And so we as a state, if we want to attract businesses to our state, we need to increase the number of our students or our working uh, age population that has that. And so that's another new initiative. And one of the things that's interesting is we're making this commitment when declining enrollments and limited funding. And so we are kind of getting, you know, that boxed-in feeling that everybody gets. And that's all higher ed. Um, Statewide declining enrollment, statewide declining state funding. At UNMLA, we're a little bit different. We have increasing enrollments and declining state funding. Let's go to another couple ones. This one came out last week. I threw it into uh, yesterday. You can't read it, but I can tell you. These are the statistics that the um, 2016 annual report that they present uh, to, to the legislators is going to have. If you look statewide, between 15, 14 and 15, it was a 5% drop. If you can see with a magnifying glass the statistics, or go and look at it online, UNMLA had the highest increase of any of the colleges in the state. That includes the research colleges, which are the first three, the comprehensive or regional, which is the next group, the... Um, the branch campuses, and then the independent community colleges, and then also the the Native American-serving colleges. So we are doing something well. That's good. Let's go to the next one. But in the midst of that, you need to think about how we're funded. We are a state institution. We are not a private institution. So a state institution typically gets most of their money from the state. If I was teaching economics, I would talk about public goods and private goods, uh, much like your roads. Who should fund your roads? Are they public roads or private roads? Who should fund your schools? Are they public schools or private schools? If you take the first column back in 2007-2008 as a reference point, 54% of our funding came from the state because we were a state institution and the state wanted to have uh, public education available. Okay. Uh, over the years, we've been growing in students, but our, because of the challenges of the state, it's been declining. So as a percentage, we've gone from 54% of our budget of $5 million being from the state to last year, I'm sorry, the first column is actual, the last column is budget. But the last year's budget, the 2016-2017 budget, only 33% was state appropriations. And by the way, most of you know that the special session, that was cut. And what we're hearing is it will be cut again. So we're really not going to get 33% from the state this year. Um, what do you do when that happens? Well, one of the things we do is we raise tuition. We've raised tuition on average 6% a year. Some years it's been a little bit more, some years it's been a little bit less. Um, again, my economics background comes in, and you're talking about price elasticity. We're still growing enrollment while we're raising tuition, so we haven't suffered yet from the cost of, of raising tuition. But do individual students suffer? Yes. We try very hard to have scholarships, need-based scholarships, and other scholarships for the ones that do suffer. And so we have been, been successful in keeping our enrollments up. Um, there is a statement that we heard a lot. Many of you were here in 2013 when UNMLA ran a mail campaign asking for a two mil increase 
And one of the things we heard in that campaign is people would say, but you're funded by UNM Albuquerque. And so, we, no, we're not. We're not funded. So the way the state, if you, if you remember the slide before this when you listed all the separate schools, each of those is separately funded by the state. UNM Albuquerque gets their pot of money and they allocate it to the School of Engineering, the School of Business, to those schools, but not to the branches. Branches are separately funded. And so I just feel like we need to keep... Uh, some people call it a myth buster or a fact, fact checker, okay? Um, let's go to the next one. That's the data. Some people like the chart. Some people like the data. So the first two columns are, is where the, the, the chart came from. If you want to see the real numbers, state appropriations went from $2.7 million to $1.8 or a 32% decline during that period, okay? How have we survived? Look at grants. Grants have had... Um, have gone a 77% increase, and tuition and fees have gone up 101%. We've been writing grants. We've got three NSF grants that we submitted um, this fall. NSF acceptance rates are about 20%, but you have to keep submitting them or you won't get, the, you won't get them. But we're trying, and so we're coming off of some grant. Every time you come off of a grant, you're in trouble because, for example, we're on a grant right now for, for the faculty for those um, piece, uh, personal care attendant and um, CNA programs. The grant's paying the salary for the faculty. Well, when you come off of that grant, you either have to eliminate the program or find money for those programs. Okay, and that's, that's the way we've been operating for the last, at least the last five years that I've been somewhat involved with the administration. Next one. This is one way of looking at it. This is not the way state funds us. Okay, the state has this elaborate funding formula, and I'd be glad to show it to you. But if you just look at how much we get from the state compared to how many student credit hours we offer, per student credit hour, funding has just continued to drop from $277 of student credit hour, uh, most recently $140 of credit hour. And there's nothing to believe that that's going to change for any higher education institution. Let's go to the next one. So there's this mill levy election. I'm here to inform. You will make your own decisions on voting. Some people say, but how much is it going to cost? Because that's a valid question. Depends on how much your property is worth, if you're a property owner or not. If you're a property owner, you get a tax bill, and it will have the value of your property on that tax bill. Hypothetically, let's say that you live in a $100,000 house. Your tax bill will increase by $33. If you live in a $300,000 house, it's by $100. Let's go to the next slide. Several people, we've been walking around talking to people, and they'll say, but I want to know what it is for me. And I say, well, it's easy. Find your tax bill, okay? Find your tax bill. Up at the top, you can find out what your value is per the assessor's record. It may not be what you think your house is worth or even what your most recent appraisal says it's worth. But find out what the tax assessor has your ideas. And then go to the line that says college, and I tried to circle it there. But we are currently at that one mill that was established in 1980, and it's not a full one meal. There's some interesting calculations. So it comes at like 0.98, something like that. But in this particular case, this taxpayer with 231000 in full value will, is currently paying $72 for approximately one meal. And so UNMLA is asking for an additional one meal. So it would increase this particular taxpayer's house by about $72. Talked to someone yesterday, their house is about 100000 And I said, well, have you got it? And they said, yeah. And I said, look. And it worked out to be the same math. And so, you know, the numbers in the previous chart are very good approximations. But if you want something exact, go to your tax bill. Okay? 
There was an article in the paper this morning, the Daily Post, where someone was saying it's doubling your taxes. And and they're also hearing that from the public schools it's no tax increase. Well, both are sort of correct, right? The public schools are asking for renewal of bonds. They've already got that built into the tax structure. If they renew the bonds, there's no tax increase. That's their question. Our question is we're currently at one mil. We would like to be at two mil. It is doubling a sliver of your taxes. If you do the math, oops, we've got, if you do the math, the $72 as compared to that particular taxpayer's total bill, it's about 4%. So for that, it'd be about 4% on that tax. You can do your own taxes to figure out what your individual is. Next one. Uh, next slide. I don't know whether I like this slide or hate it. It's, it's, it could be called the shame slide. Okay, How do we compare with other, other areas? Now, community colleges are supposed to have at least a one meal. Remember we talked about that in 1980? We had a one meal cost of admission. So everybody has at least a one meal. Well, Los Alamos and Roswell never got any beyond the one meal. Uh, ours is at 0.98. Roswell's is still kind of building. Is at 0. 0.8, 0. 0.87, 0. 0.851. But... Alamogordo is a little bit better, 1.1, probably is supposed to be more like 1.5. If I add these up, there's this thing of that a 1 is not really a 1 until it becomes fully funded. But UNM Gallup's at 4.7. Okay? So you can see that, and this is somebody else's words, but I'll use them. For a community that's considered to be highly educated for education and wealthy, this one doesn't should reflect that, does it? Let's get off of that one. Okay. What are you going to do with the money? Well, that's a great question. The first thing is we lost in 2013 by 246 votes. And we cut, we cut people. We cut jobs. And when people left, we didn't replace them. And some of them were the right things to do, but some of them were saying, oh, man, we desperately need to restore this position. And some of the examples is we had an engineering professor who left, we didn't replace them. We got adjunct people. Um, I'm almost out of time, aren't I? Okay, I'll, I'll say we got adjunct people. Adjunct people are great in the classroom, but when there's a statewide engineering meeting, we send a math professor down because an adjunct person doesn't go spend the day in Albuquerque for us. We, our students benefit from having the adjuncts. We're not trying to get rid of the adjuncts, but we really need to have an engineering faculty. Same for computer science. Restore, continue some of the programs like especially a growing dual credit program, having classes that we're not getting funded for, we need, we need to have the support of the local community to do that. And then expand and say, okay, there's some, the community asks sometimes for caregiver programs, and we'd like to be able to do it without relying on grant funding and some other things. I think we're about done. Just go through them real quick. Two different questions. I think some people in the community are confused. I think there's one question. Two different questions. They both relate to ex- education, but two, two separate questions. You can vote yes to both, no to both, yes to one, no to the other. We vote whatever you want to vote, okay? But two separate questions. For information about UNMLA, contact me. But really, I'm not running the mill levy campaign. I'm an advocate for UNMLA all the time, but we need to have a separation between the college and the campaign. So on, um, for information about the campaign, this one I usually do as an exercise. Tell me what you thought were the major points, and then I've, uh, I've kind of put them there, so you don't have to play with that one. I'm out of time, but can I have two questions maybe? No questions? Your choice. 
Okay. It's 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 your call. Okay. What would you like to be the main two emphases of UNM LA in terms of subject matter? Good question. What would I like to be the main two entities? Okay. The main two emphases. Emphases. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with what I think we're very good at. So you build on your strengths and you build on what people are interested in. One is transfer. Most of our degree programs are transfer programs. And so we, we call it preparation for transfer. And our students have amazing success. The other is science. How could we be in Los Alamos and not emphasize science? Our number one transfer degree is pre-engineering. Our number one applied science degree is applied technology, applied electromechanical. And so I think those would be the two. Good question. Other questions? I thought I saw another hand up. Yes? So I had a question in terms of why, you know, you said you couldn't send an adjunct or adjunct faculty would, would go down just, you know, to a meeting in, in Albuquerque for a day. Do you, you ask them? Yeah, we do ask. And some of them do, and I overstated it. Sometimes they do. But there also is a lot with accreditation uh, that has to be done. An adjunct faculty, and I don't mind telling you, they get paid based on their credentials. Uh, right now, if they have a PhD, I believe it's $750 a credit hour. So we're not paying them a phenomenal amount of money. Most of them are doing it for the goodness of their heart. But most of them have another day job. But we do have adjunct professors from the lab in science, adjunct professors in other areas that will take a day off from their day job and go do those things. But it's asking an awful lot of them to ask them to do accreditation and the statewide articulation meetings and all of the things they're doing in the classroom and to do counseling with students and advising for students. But it's a good point. We've got, I never want to underestimate how valuable our adjuncts are. So thank you for clarifying that. All right. Thank you very much, Cindy. Let's if you have questions, speaker. I can talk about our campus all day, any day. And I have one last thing. You guys give great feedback. I'm seeing a lot of nodding and a lot of smiling. So thank you for being a wonderful audience.